welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hello and uh, welcome. And if you are a consistent listener, you may be saying, I haven't heard from you all in a while. And uh, that is true. And that is because we've have had a little sickness going around and there was enough of us out. Down with the sickness. Now, down. that's what I call coronavirus volume 19. <laughs> yes, volume I was, was going to let them call themselves out. I wasn't going to call them out for it. Yeah. But, uh... the, the ones that had it just did it. So yeah, yeah. we called ourselves out. A little <laughs> under the weather for a bit. I thought of it as, corona, as COVID-19 having me you know keep down with the case of <laughs> yes. me it definitely <laughs> takes you out yeah. yes that's that's you for sure it is we both it is the, the corona yeah. it is the dominant mm. one in this relationship uh we took so. turns resting <laughs> me and the virus but we are uh, back and uh maybe a little bit uh i don't know a little bit foggy in the brain depleted a little a little depleted but uh, some of us some of us are feeling <laughs> a little bit punchy today and uh, i'll let you guess who that is it's me i'm the problem punchy uh, tell us why you're punchy <laughs> i mean that's pretty punchy. exciting that you, like, you've had a big day when you've you say PT. punchy you mean like you want to pun- like punch or like is is punchy better than stabby um, punchy is kind a of cousin. like stabby with like a uh, humorous kick to it. I, I think, uh, oh, like yeah. killing me softly without the Fugees. attempted murder judge. Set your punchy, yeah, punchy is more like a slight, you know, uh, stabs, but with a smile on my face. I'll oh, so. <laughs> it's like being stabbed with a feather duster over and over again. No, I just, uh, well, to be honest with you, I've gotten to teach a lot in the past couple days, which is what I love to do is just to talk to people about plants. And I've talked to middle schoolers and high schoolers and garden clubs. And uh, it's just, it keeps me, keeps me fresh, keeps me uh, alive. And and I I enjoy that. So Punchy's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't come at me because I will also stab you. Just kidding. You're keyed (laughs) up. I'm keyed up. I'm keyed up. I know. I, I just like the word punchy. It just feels I know, good. Yeah. Today. I was just clarifying what I did. Feeling <laughs> punchy today. I'm not on TikTok, you know? Alexis. So I don't know what the new I, you words know what? Mean. I actually heard heard that term used by another podcaster. Um, Look at you. So and she goes, "We're punchy today, y'all." And they're always. They, yeah, it just seems right. Just feels good. But today we are talking about fall cover crops, and we have talked about cover crops on here before. We've talked about why they're great. Some, some of the summer ones that you can do, uh, but we're at the period in fall and we're about getting close to the time where it's up for cover crops. Like you don't have much window left to be planting them. So if you're hearing this right now, get to the store, get on the internet, wherever you're going to buy your seed uh, and and get to ordering if you're wanting to put that down. And uh, I can tell you from personal experience, I am always late. It is never, I never get it down at the right time. Like, I don't know if anybody, anybody else, but it can be hard. You know, your tomatoes are still producing maybe, or, you know, you've got some good garden stuff it's still like you in there. You do the cover crop until everything's done. done. Yeah. Done, but done, done. It's not always the way it works because yeah. it needs to have enough time in there. Uh, I guess to- it depends on, depends on the person. Cause there would be many, many a time where I would just be thrilled to knock <laughs> everything down and put in a yeah. nice clean, Bed yes, of, Brett. Of wheat, one hundred percent. You know, I've 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 taken I've knocked down all my tomatoes as I've uh, 
confessed in earlier episodes, maybe the last episode, I think I, you know, we talked a little bit about that, like ending the garden with well, mm-hmm. Jennifer will not let me end her little round circles of flowers that I've tilled around with a garden oh. tiller. I've tilled around every little round circle of flower and I'm waiting to dispatch those into the netherworld. No, but uh, yeah, I can't. circles. I can't put- uh, yeah, little crop circles, like little Power miniature circles. crop circles. But yeah, Alexis, <laughs> that's a great point because I can't put down. I've got a crimson clover base mix, like a I don't know, ten or twelve, uh, you know, things, and I usually put down a, a mix of things of grasses and clovers. But I can't put them down yet, and I know something about crimson clover is that winter kills really bad, so I got to get that in soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and also. One of the reasons that I put in a cover crop, specifically a fall cover crop, is that my garden is kind of, you've seen kind of the backyard, it kind of slopes down to a flat area, Mm -hmm. then slopes some more. It it has a little slope to it. So I desperately need that cover crop on there because it's in a state of 90% being tilled right now. And I'm starting to see little washouts starting to, Mm -hmm. yeah, erosion. Uh, So I need to get that on ASAP. Yeah. And it's a timing issue for me. So those flowers, I can't guarantee how much longer the little crop circles of flowers will be in the garden. (laughs) They're all going to get powdery mildew if they don't have it already. They already do. They already (laughs) do. It's just a matter of time. It's a slow death. I drink my coffee and I watch them decline. It's what I do in the morning. Have you ever accidentally mowed them too early? Yeah. Made a mistake? will accidentally uh, do bodily harm to me. So yeah, she knows my Talking about feeling stabby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's Jennifer. She's uh, just straight stabby, not punchy. So, yeah, she'll come and get me. So that's one of the reasons that uh, there's lots of great reasons, I guess, you all to do a fall cover crop. But that's one of the main reasons that I do is to hold my soil Mm-hmm. On this ever so slight slope, but is just enough to gather water, and it's just a big enough area to gather a volume and velocity of water to to do a little washing. So that's yeah. one of the reasons I am anxious to get my fall cover crop in. Well, so no, that's I, good... I know we're focusing on cover crop specifically, mm-hmm. but just in case anybody's new to this time of year, or they're new to gardening in general. A couple of the other things, just think about this time of year, and you can look into them as you're uh, listening to the rest of the podcast. Would be. So no, I just saw some of our growers are planting their annual strawberry plants uh, yes. in the next few weeks. Mm. On plastic, uh, typically on yep. uh, raised bed plastic culture or plastic we've talked about before. Yeah. That's that's people who are growing them for, for annual production almost, mm-hmm. or not almost exactly as an annual, like rather than <laughs> a, a perennial or biennial crop. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think about garlic is another thing this time of mm-hmm. year that people mm-hmm. should be thinking mm-hmm. about planting. Um, we covered a little bit of the bulbs and uh, other things that are fall planted last week tulips uh tulips uh and some of those perennial woody perennials so this time of year there is a lot of activity a lot of things that can be planted and uh grouped and and i always you know kind of as as fall comes on those are the things that i have in my had had in my mind when i was growing things more regularly but alexis i don't want to digress us off of uh no, no. I heard somebody call spring or fall second spring the other day. Uh, and it, that I think is, can be very true. It doesn't have to be true, but it can be very true. So, you know, if you're, if you're tired, listen, I get it. Uh, and it's okay to, to terminate and, you know, hopefully you can, um, throw in some cover crop or whatever, but I was going to say a, a cool, maybe a cool way to start talking about cover crop. So Ray talked about why he is cover cropped and all of us have used it in some way and some point of our life. Um, so maybe just talking about why you did in your situation might be a cool, and then we can talk about, uh, just some of our favorites time, time, uh, line on those. And then, you know, 
kind of getting rid of them in the spring can also be something that terminating terminating can be a little bit tricky depending on what equipment you have available for you. All of it is possible, uh, but it's something to think about when you pick one. And we've talked about this with summer cover crops and the same is true. Uh, for winter, uh, some some termination is easier than others, depending on your scale. But for me, uh, you know, erosion is, I think, always, whether you're on a slope or not, is always something to be concerned with. But uh, I have other ways of covering the soil uh, in my mm-hmm. situation. You know, I can cover it with a big uh, black, you know, plastic uh, silage tarp and do a lot of that. But what I don't get by covering it up with silage tarp is I don't get that organic matter buildup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I may get some weed suppression. Uh, I may get the warming of the soil. So there's great things to do. Uh, and I have a tarp down right now where I, I've pulled it over an area that I just could no longer look at because the weeds were so bad. <laughs> We've talked about that as well. But um I, I use cover crop both for, for weed suppression and because I have a, a clay, a pretty heavy clay-based soil. So I'm really trying to break that up um, from where it was in tobacco a long time ago. And then in pasture, mm-hmm. I have some a little bit of compaction, some clawed issues that happen. And so I'm, I'm trying to increase that organic matter in the in a cheaper way because I can add compost. I can add manure, um, you know, as much as my phosphorus levels Are you adding will. a lot of taprooted things to your mix? So yeah, I was wondering, like, do you yeah. – with any of the tillage radish stuff yeah yeah, yeah. i did daikon radishes the first awesome. time um i did them and they worked great but i don't i don't necessarily have like a hard pan per se it's just i'm trying to prevent a hard pan because mm-hmm. i right. have this sure. type of soil that will do that but they did do great i had i even picked some uh or pulled some out that i like missed with the tiller and that got really large and like we just sauteed them up and ate them because they were tasty. Uh, <laughs> nice. But I'm more going in with a mix of of just both grasses and legumes because uh, I really need some good weed suppression as well. But I need can a you, lot of biomass. Can you biomass. drop Nick? Can you uh, share? Yeah, names? I was gonna. Hold on, let me pull what's up. The, yeah, what's the phrase? The, I want to pull up the exact mix. Names of those so many good, good about mixes it. out there, especially for homeowners. You know, on a agriculture scale. You know, we've been doing that forever. And, you know, the important thing to remember about as Alexis is, uh, I'm killing time as Alexis is pulling that up, <laughs> is to, uh, if you have a pre-done mix, that's great. Those are readily available for homeowners and larger scale. Typically for homeowners, you get those mixes ready to go in the proper ratio. But if you're making your own mix, remember to reduce the total amount recommended. If it says a pound per thousand square feet or whatever, a lot of times you are reducing that by half if you're putting that in a mix. Mm-hmm. You don't want to double up if you're making your own mix. But yeah. uh, have you found that, Alexis? Yeah. So yeah. Um, the seeding rates are for an, a pure stand of just that. Yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. For summer cover crops, I tend I tend to like like a straight species and it's totally personal preference. Like that's just – it's easy for me. That's the way my brain works. But for fall, since they're going to be in a lot longer in theory, um, I like a mix and I need various things. So uh, the one I have is winter rye, field peas, rye grass, crimson clover, and hairy vetch. Um, hairy vetch is one of my absolute favorites. I love it. It's so consistent. Mm-hmm. It's and I such like, a good cover crop. I like a mix because if you don't mm-hmm. have great success, like let's say I get this in a little bit late and the crimson clover doesn't end up coming up. That's okay because I have other things that can kind of help fill in that void. Um, because when I've done straight winter mixes, I, I have the – some things might be killed off easier than others. Like the, um, like the, the, the 
the clover's bad about that. The crimson, yeah. Sometimes if it gets way, way below zero, like a couple of years ago, that killed a lot of crimson. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, you had I lost veg, all it the wasn't crimson a problem. Yeah. in my mix last year, but the um, rye and the uh, vetch did fine. So like, mm-hmm. I didn't lose all my cover crop because it was a yeah. mix. So that's one of the reasons I like to have a mix as a fall cover crop. We've um, talked before about the biodiversity and the different root structures, the mm-hmm. depths and all the benefits you get from that. Because remember uh, the cool thing about cover crops is you have the top part and the bottom part. And Alexis has already kind of kicked us off into that conversation with like the, the radishes doing the mechanical, some of the, you know, penetration into the soil. So that's a cool thing about it. We look at the biomass on top and what's mm-hmm. going on with the root system. So I, that's a great reason to use the mixes. I think is you kind of get that diversity naturally. Uh, by selecting different things, a mixture of grasses and uh, and legumes. What yeah, about so you, Brett and Josh? Thing. You guys have worked in a lot of different uh, th- different industries. Not industries. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> enterprises. <laughs> enterprises. Thank you. So, like, how how have you all used it, and what 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 was your preference? Um, well, I mean, what comes to mind recently, because these days I'm just a homeowner managing like a quarter of an acre of kind of the endemic polyculture of crabgrass and whatnot. Um, I like to kind of overseed with white clover kind of around mm-hmm. that frost mm-hmm. date and just kind of keep doing that to, I don't know, I guess influence the yard to be a little bit more yeah. perennial, be a little bit more friendly to kind of pollinators and be less of kind of a monocot <laughs> forest. I'm really curious. How does that work for you? The overseeded with clover? Cause it's such a tiny seed. Does that work pretty well for you in a lawn setup? Just, I it know we're veering to, off and, it's, it's yeah. definitely not something where it's like fat. It's not something that you get great results in the first season. Yeah. It's, it's one of those kinda, you do. Oh, yeah. what? Uh, continuously kind of. Mm-hmm, like yeah. And then the springs in the spring and the fall. Okay. Uh, yeah. And just kind of over walk it over with a little, uh, organ grinder, you know, yeah, it doesn't take long when it's a quarter acre. <laughs> yeah, we kind of laughed when you said crabgrass, but uh, somebody mentioned uh, uh, it was last year, year before, and they had a uh, hen bitten chickweed out in the field, and it uh-huh. absolutely looked like it was sown out there. And they mm-hmm. said, Well, we're going to leave it because it's holding the soil, mm-hmm. and we're getting that uh, top mass that we're going to till under later, so mm-hmm. why not? And that really made me take a step back. I was like, Huh. You know, it's yeah. Anything can were, be a cover crop. If, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. If, if it is, you know, get it, giving you those benefits, it doesn't have to be one of these, you know, cereal grains or legumes or grasses that we're uh, we're mentioning here today. But right. they said no. They they get such a you know that's a weed problem for them. But then it's not a problem when the way that their tillage patterns in the spring they just mechanically kind of tilled it up and it was not a problem. But every year they had this you know coming back, they must have quite a seed bed, but I thought, wow, that was, that was, that's something to me because that was their cover crop chickweed. Mm-hmm. Hen bed. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's a really important point is to think about, you know, what is it that you want from this place? Because mm-hmm. I'm not out there pulling out a bunch of like carbohydrates or biomass, right? I'm yeah. not growing anything. I'm just kind of trying to subtly influence the the ground yeah. cover that's out there. Whereas mm-hmm. you all are, you know, pulling things off and mitigate like yeah you have specific plans for you know what what families of crops you're going to be having come up and trying to break disease cycles and all that that really the big on the larger scale that becomes a big issue that's another facet of uh cover crops is are you trying to make that be a nitrogen sink where you're trying to capture excess nitrogen based on the production scheme for that year so that you can sort of let you know 
the decomposition kind of add that to the soil at a later date. But yeah, that's another mm. on bigger scales that becomes a big uh, factor as uh, soil testing is used to mm -hmm. determine exactly what kind of cover crop you need to capture what you're trying to do right. and make sure that it stays there on site with the soil. Yeah, that's a good point, Josh. I know it's not a, a popular opinion, but I actually, I prefer crabgrass to lobster grass. What are you? <laughs> yeah. As long as it's in Rangoon, I don't care what it is. If it's as, long as, there's, as long as there's plenty of butter while I'm eating either Fresh of them, and local. Yeah. Notice the difference. You can eat lots of different things. I know, that bread is, for that. I know that bread is making a joke right now, but crabgrass <laughs> is the bane of my existence right now, and it can go rot in that. hell. In yeah. Okay. Well, I think I uh, lobster, I mean, a lobster grass fan has entered the chat. <laughs> Somebody has opinions. From what I understand, the in the grassland ecology lab, you know, that looking at the steadily warming temperatures, apparently crabgrass is coming and here to stay and will only yeah. come, you know, like dominating our grasslands. So uh, it is words piece. that I cannot say on a recorded <laughs> podcast while I am wearing my UK official gear. Uh, but just know I'm thinking them and I'm thinking them hard. I know you're not talking about your lawn because I don't think you would care. Lawn so schmon. Yeah. I, so what scenario has got you so worked up? Is it like in one of your production areas? Yeah. So my yeah, I, yeah. I have a couple different style of production areas because I like to keep things fun. Um, I don't don't <laughs> necessarily recommend that. But uh, the place where it is the worst. So remember, I've I've converted pasture, and this will be my third growing season, and mm. so of of converted pasture. And I have uh, perennial rows that are mulched. And in between those rows, I have uh, plastic walkways. And so in that is where the crabgrass has taken over because I've tilled up new area. And even mm -hmm. though I've mulched and I mulched heavy and well, and there's a good amount of uh, you know perennials that have really started to take off in that area, the crabgrass is um, – it's there. It shows up and it is <laughs> – it is special. Uh, and, and honestly, like it's worse than my John. Like I don't really have yeah. knock on wood, a bad Johnson grass problem. Um, I mean, sure. it's there certainly, but a lot of people tend to have bad Johnson grass issues when they convert pasture, but mine is crabgrass. And it also comes up the worst place it comes up. And I, I finally had to just weed eat the entire row. I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic, but like, this is why cover crops are so important to me because of this crabgrass issue. Um, so I finally just went in and just completely destroyed a whole row because I couldn't look at it anymore. And uh, I also it? Used, did you kill it with fire? Uh, a weed eater. I would just yeah, I scalped it down. Mechanical uh, decapitation. Yeah, and then I just I'm gonna pull a tarp over it and go <laughs> when I do it. Uh, <laughs> couldn't you sell like crabgrass as like some kind of foliar? I gotta figure out something, man. <laughs> I'm telling you what, it's like as stay, a cute like little Josh seed pod, I just I can't. Right. I don't know. I almost can't give it that much. Because I, mean, I hate it, I loathe it. Surely, I loathe it in such a way that I don't think I could ever. <laughs> if someone was like, "I will give you a hundred dollars for crabgrass," I'd be like, "No, I just I don't want to look at it. I <laughs> it can't must do be it. Killed. It must <laughs> die." I know this is an aside, but crabgrass is so odd, and research, you know, tells us this more and more. But you know, most weeds, we say, you know, do if you're doing a chemical weed control. 
uh, spray them when they're actively growing and young. Well, crabgrass doesn't adhere to that. You can spray it when it's young. It works pretty well. But in the middle of its growth cycle, when it's still somewhat young, it doesn't work at all. But when it gets older, the chemicals actually work better. So there's this strange dip in the curve. So crabgrass is very evasive. Yeah. Even with chemical controls, it's really interesting. Well, it's so like low profile, right? It like yeah. it is. It you know it, it's Hides not that out. it knows the blade is coming, but like it knows how weak or the the typical ways we control things like go right over its head. It's yeah. evil. Yeah, it is evil. But anyways, cover well, crops. For, cover for crops me. can help you with crabgrass. For, for me, conceptually, the ways that the ways that I've used it or thought about it using it. We mentioned it already, but I kind of just kind of these categories of things. So there's mm-hmm. the there's mm-hmm. your grasses, there's your nitrogen fixer legume kind of stuff, and then I think yes. there's sort of like a third utility category that has other things that it does. We talked about tillage radishes. Some people, sometimes yes. people will the do flex player a, a types of <laughs> of mustard for mm-hmm. like a kind of fumigation mm-hmm. and whatever mm-hmm. other. Uh, or if you need like a perennial crop, <clears throat> how about those, Brett? Mm-hmm. Um, like if you need something more than one year, uh, and I, I see that in production operations where you're doing something like alfalfa or you know something that's going to persist more than one year. Yeah. But I think in addition to you know, covering the ground both while it's actively growing and once you either cut it or knock it down, another way that I think of uh, grasses is sort of like a this sponge that so if we think we talk about you know fertility when you get a soil test and you get a sense of how much fertility is in the soil and available to plants at that time versus how much will be available across time well the reality is sometimes when we're going through a season especially if you're adding fertilizer throughout the year there's going to be a decent amount of free fertility hanging out in the soil profile toward the end of the season and so Mm -hmm. when you go and you put in something like a winter wheat a winter rye something like that Mm -hmm. What it's going to do is it's going to take and it's going to put down its roots and it's going to grow and it's going to use that nitrogen and it's going to use the other uh, macro and micronutrients to build itself. And in the process, it's holding all of those nutrients in the stem and in the stalk and in the eventual Mm -hmm. seed heads, et cetera. And so when you plant that, what you're doing is instead of letting uh, letting that fertility wash out the bottom of your soil profile across winter, you're actually holding it in this live mm-hmm. living tissue yep. in a way right. that saves it's going to save you money as far as fertility applications mm-hmm. and um, et cetera down the line. Now there's things you have to fi- figure out when you go to terminate it and the timing and all that kind of stuff. And then right. the, n- the nitrogen, the nitrogen fixers are, are contributing to the, the fertility that's in the mix um, there. And, and as they're, releasing nitrogen some of it's getting taken up by those grasses and some of it's going back into the nitrogen fixers themselves and and so overall when you get to the end of that period you have this big juicy green thing of biomass on top of your field growing actively growing and fixing nitro uh, fixing atmospheric carbon and holding the soil profile in place and covering it and keeping some of those early weeds from germinating, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go and you knock it down and it's like wringing out that sponge and all of those nutrients can actually just then be released and in whether they're directly released or they're released as food for microbes. Mm. That to me is what gets me really excited about particularly. Well, you touched on a big one there. The we hadn't touched on at all. And that was weed suppression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Huge function of cover crops. In addition to all those 
awesome, amazing things you just talked about is that, uh, you know, we talked about terminating a cover crop, which that's a big deal for small gardeners as well as uh, larger farm operations because you have to have a plan. Is it going to be a chemical? Is it going to be a mechanical cultivation? Uh, you got to watch out for some of these things like rye where it has early spring, a flush of growth that can get away from like home gardeners if they don't have proper equipment. But uh, yeah, weed suppression is a big deal. Uh, cover crops, because once they get in there and they kind of take up the space, uh, you don't have weed bed from other maybe more noxious things such as crabgrass, Alexis. Evil. You don't have maybe those things to contend with. So it's like picking what you want to terminate at the end of the season rather than having fallow ground with lots of maybe invasive weed species coming in on you. So yeah, uh, all of those are great points, Brett. Yeah, absolutely. So should we talk about some of the cover crops that can be seeded, you know, September through November, at least in Kentucky and most parts of Kentucky? Yeah, a lot. I mean, we're, we're in the we've been in the season for two or three weeks now uh, for what can be seeded. I mean, you're talking about the rye wheat uh, can all be seeded now. Winter oats are great because, as Alexis said, if you have something going on, winter oats can be, although I've put in winter oats all the way at the end of October and had pretty good stands depending on the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, barley, uh, all of that can go in now. As Has far anybody as winter ever cover. done triticale before? Uh, I haven't. I've always heard it said triticale, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Triticale, yeah. triticale. It's Latin. The the language is dead. Okay, <laughs> nobody correct nobody. me. <laughs> and everybody who disagrees with Alexis also dead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, told you I'm really been... punchy, and I meant it. Triticale. Um, yeah, she is not you like joking. A little triticale, triticale salad. Alexis, I think I put it in like the beginning of October, but it's been, oh gosh, 20 years ago, probably. Yeah, I've never used it and I don't see it a ton in mixes. I see it commercially more than I do for homeowners mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Uh, and then it's not super common there in production systems like it was several years ago, at least locally. I'm just making local observations. So. Yeah. Anyway. Austrian winter pea is another one that can be well, good. And, and you can sow through mm-hmm. October. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I was thought of uh with with the grasses that kind of wheat could be a little bit sensitive to not not going too late into the season for planting Mm -hmm. and rye was a little more flexible to go you know if Mm -hmm. if you basically if you missed a window where you wanted to plant wheat Mm -hmm. you could go in with rye you know as a last resort but excuse me on the and i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit on the spring side of this equation um in general Cereal rye, and, and the one thing you mentioned rye grass earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Alexis, just to distinguish. Mm-hmm. So there's there's rye grass and there's cereal rye, and so cereal rye is what Different. we typically think yeah. of as like the most famous, probably cover crops. Uh, mm-hmm. Rye grass is actually really interesting because um, it, there's both annual and perennial versions, but the, its root structure is like pretty gnarly and wild and extensive and deep it's aggressive um yeah. yeah i i i had we had some that kind of persisted as weeds in, in part of our garden where we had used it but the root system is pretty baller but anyway uh when you're selecting rye or wheat in the spring there's going to be a lot more biomass with the rye mm-hmm. in other words mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of bigger thicker stalks that may be harder to terminate and knock down etc mm-hmm. so if you're if this is your first go round, you might try wheat as your, you know, your first one. At least that was always our experience. A lot of this, if it gets too tall, 
uh, it does help greatly if you are a smaller operation that maybe have um, a person-powered cultivator, uh, like a walk-behind type cultivator. You do not want to stick that into something that's grown up 36 inches tall because it's just going to wrap around the mm -hmm. uh, tilling tines and make you say really bad words. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times if you have some way to mow that uh, before you go in and try to, yeah, some, some way to chop it up. Uh, it's not such a big issue for uh, commercial operations. They have ways of dealing with that. But homeowners, I find lots of frustration when they have that rye or whatnot out there that's, number one, has a really tough root system, extensive root system. Mm -hmm. But then it puts on a lot of early growth. And by the time the seeding window is there and the ground is dried out and it's suitable for tillage, it's already too late to just go in with ground tilling equipment, smaller based equipment. So you have to usually add a point in the operation there and that's to mow it or somehow chop it and then go in and, and do your tilling operation so yeah all of those are kind of considerations do we have uh, do make. we have like a beginners beginners cover crops here's a few species that have worked and are, are manageable and aren't gonna yeah we, grow to be you know uk is an older publication um it's uh literally called winter cover crops for kentucky gardens and fields it's about 20 plus years just a, a little bit over 20 years old now but it's really good for larger operations uh, particularly here in kentucky and Vintage small gardens <laughs> yes uh, it, it has lots of information in a small amount of space but it kind of follows along with the conversation we're having today and the way it breaks down things it gives you nice charts for all the main categories such as legumes and grasses um, it uh, kind of gives you considerations for each and not only that but more importantly for homeowners it designates which cover crop species are most appropriate for home gardens. So if you look up that information, it's readily available online. Once again, the title is Winter Cover Crops for Kentucky Gardens and Fields. Um, and I think uh, the call numbers are ID-113 for those techie out there that want to just look it up by that. But uh, great information in that. It contains basically all the talking points we've been going over today, except for crabgrass, Alexis. I'm going to continue to circle back to that. But lots of great information in there for homeowners and larger scale operations. So and look I, it up, folks. That's a really good one. I also want to pull um, pull up a newer one, and it would be one that yeah, a lot of people would skip over because it is the title is Cool Season Cover Crops for High Tunnels in the Southeast. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so – even if you don't have a high tunnel, check this out. It's some really cool tables in it with even more um, options. And what I like about it is, um, you know, you're looking when people are doing high tunnels, they're, you know, looking at thousand square feet type situations. And so for a lot of people who are doing, you know, intensive small farming or uh, gardens, that's what you're looking for. And I like that this publication has certain comments in it that says like easy to terminate earlier and um, mm -hmm. matures faster than rye. And so those might be something that you're like, oh, I tried rye. I didn't like it. It was hard to deal with. Uh, here's, you know, some other things. It also gives you traits and tolerance. So it gives you traits such as nitrogen fixing, weed suppression. Uh, if it's a host for root, not nematode, which is a, a big thing that we're dealing with in high tunnels around these parts. Uh, and if it's a soil builder. So like I told you all earlier, I really need something that's a soil builder as well as a weed suppression. So I might go down through here and say, I'm looking for something that's says very good in both categories. Uh, and then I just, you know, okay, looks like uh, Pacific gold mustard is very good soil builder and very good weed suppression. So I might see if that will work 
for, you know, the timing that I need, uh, even in my fields, if, you know, if it's fairly resistant to cold. So just something to think about. And it is, like I said, for the Southeast. So if you're in, you know, Kentucky or Tennessee or somewhere close by, it's, it could be uh, helpful for you. And I think we can put links in the show notes, uh, Mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll put those in there that you guys can check out if you want to. But, um, there's, lots out there. And I think why we're not necessarily going over every single specific one is because each of them have their own benefits. Uh, and you really kind of have to go through there. I mean, crimson clover, you know, has a lot of great things, but from my perspective, it's also pretty. And so I can use it even, I can even use it for cut. So if there's, um, there's another one, uh, phacelia is a great cover crop. And it's quick and it's really pollinator friendly, but it's also something that can be used as a cut. And so, uh, you know, I'm not using it predominantly for that, but if it's going to take up space and use space, then I want it to do as many things as possible for me or for my soil. Uh, And so there's just so many out there to go through. And I think at least the publications we've mentioned, in my opinion, do a pretty good job of kind of going through the benefits and disadvantages of each so that you can pick something that really works in your situation. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. I mean, I've worked with people that um, they are doing a cover crop in the raised bed garden. And Mm -hmm. then there's other people that have, you know, large commercial production fields. So it's all about what works for you and what you're trying to accomplish. And as Alexis mentioned earlier, your soil top and Mm -hmm. matching you know, what's needed for that soil and that situation and cover crop can be kind of integrated into that based on needs. I think that's and fertility. That, that one, the thing you mentioned about it being pretty or being, you know, beautiful mm-hmm. or attractive. I think that is a really good and overlooked point. And I honestly, <laughs> especially like in a home garden, we get a little high minded about the ecological implications mm-hmm. of our 10 by 10 area. And in reality, the outcomes associated with that 10 by 10 area being something that looks really nice through the winter time and is this bright mm-hmm. patch of green, maybe with some flowers sprinkled throughout it mm-hmm. and encourages you to get out there earlier next year. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that that might be more of an overall net benefit in terms of than the impact of that little area being undercover, you know, compared mm-hmm. to a larger area. That, and, and so I think we don't always have to... Um, have efficiency or, or, you know, no. this really grounded, you know, water plan, NRCS water plan for our 10 by <laughs> 10, you know, raised bed in the backyard. But I can say going out there and seeing some winter wheat, just like this mm-hmm. green verdant mm-hmm. thing, as opposed to this dead kind of partially hen bit covered <laughs> crust. It's got a flower on it. It's inconspicuous, yeah. but it's purpley. <laughs> it just looks, it looks like uh, the ground has been strangled it's and is like purple like space. Hen bit yeah. is muted looking. Yeah. That's a good point, Brett. Yeah. And, 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 quick, and uh, like Alexa said, crimson clover is pretty and that's why I like it. It may winter kill. I don't care. I'm going to put it in every single mix I use Yeah, just because I like the way it looks in May, you know, right before I till it. Do you all have yeah, a good way good to tell the difference between a nematode and a nematode? I do not. How far they jump? I just ask them. I, I just ask them. What do you? What's yeah. the question? You just ask them. You just like make conversation. So you, uh, you toad or uh, you frog? Just uh, <laughs> are you feeling froggy? That's just real quick. Just real yeah. quick. Yeah. Let me hear you ribbit. 
Uh, I should also plug the cover crop calculator that was developed uh, well, absolutely. and released oh, in the was last that, like Was that something days. that you, you developed? Oh, yeah, I forgot. That, that was me too. Oh, I just yeah, thought it was something. Oh, what yeah. I remember is that somebody cool made something cool. We just focus on the <laughs> but product. But it was me. You know, whoever may have done it, whether it was me it or... It just happens to be me, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I developed that in collaboration with the uh, Hort Council and Dakota, uh, Dakota Moore. Um, kind of, it's set up to be of most value to people who are working uh, with areas of management that are measured in kind of square feet. Because a mm-hmm. lot of the recommendations are are per acre. So this is for people, you know, who they've got a ten by ten or a twenty by twenty, and it has you know all the recommended cover crops. There's also links to much deeper resources, but includes things like handouts on, you know, what are the benefits or what are these different cover crops best at providing like Mm -hmm. bio. Where's that housed at Josh? Is that the, uh, where's that housed? We can drop a link. It's on the CCD website. There's a link to it, but yeah, we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes um, where you just pick your cover crop and you, you give it your area and it gives you the, the range of like the high and low seeding rate. Mm-hmm. While we're or plugging resources, I'll just say, so I work with the USDA SARE program, Sustainable Ag Research mm-hmm. and Education, and one of their hallmarks has been cover crops because it's it's the sustainable mm-hmm. ag practice that applies to a whole lot of different farms across different types of systems, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so they, if you, uh, their, their website is just SARE.org. That's the main SARE website. Mm-hmm. And you can go and find the Southeastern region with, uh, within that. And they have uh, free downloadable PDFs of all of their things, all of their resources, including one called Managing Cover Crops Profitably, which has some summaries Mm -hmm. and other things. And they also have a link to the Midwest Cover Crop Council's Cover Crop Decision Tools, which are um, also available online. So I think, you know, cover crops is something that has been heavily researched and uh, broadly applied and used in different, you know, kind of fits and starts across time, but uh, Sarah has supported it going back to the 1980s. Um, mm. Are we going to talk yeah, about the calculator? The calculator drew heavily on that resource and provides links to those Sarah resources mm-hmm. and a couple of the ones that we've talked about on this episode. The calculator, Josh, does that take, did you say that takes into account? Can you like do mixes with that also? Or we, not currently, we're planning on adding that functionality. Awesome. Uh, you know, kind of coming soon. But right now you can kind of just get your basic, you know. And it gives you like, you said. Gives you the high and the low. Gives you the high and low rates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. If you are hand seeding, if you're just tossing stuff out, which is what I do, uh, go with the high rate. If you are uh, doing this more methodically, then you can use the lower rate. But if you're doing this by hand, Hand go with the high rate. And you will see all of your mistakes <laughs> in a couple months. Go big or go home. Seeds, yeah. Big, yep. this kind of boom and bust cycles all across the field. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about, or we've talked quite a bit about the, this is the time of year, this um, August, September, October window is when we usually plant these things. And just to ask a question or, or put the, you, we aren't fertilizing our cover crops, right? That's not something that we typically would be doing. Correct. No. Right. That's kind of counter to to the whole goal here. Especially if you have legumes, it'll work directly against that. And that's more for the homeowners of, you know, on the ag and they kind of get that concept. But it's easy sometimes to miss that uh, on the homeowner side of things sometimes. But yeah. Yeah. And then in general, in the fall, we're trying to maybe if we can target to get plant, get seeds in the ground ahead of 
some rainfall that's going to come and germinate those crops. Because that's one of the things that yeah. I think, uh, you know, if, if I plant this week or next week, if we don't get any rain between now and then, there really isn't mm-hmm. going to that much of a difference between putting it in today versus putting it in next week. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then do we do, are we doing really anything to them across the winter time? And then I guess we'll talk, we could talk briefly about just some termination strategies or approaches in the uh, spring. Any other? Before we uh, uh, maybe talk about termination, if you guys don't care, we'll back up a little bit. We kind of take it for granted within this group. But as far, and Lexus uh, started to, uh, maybe uh, to touch on it, was a seeding method. I'm assuming that in the wintertime you have some kind of prepared seed bed when you throw down a seed mix and Josh mentioned it earlier that, you know, seed that you just cast on top of the ground, if it's not prepared at all, like mm-hmm. a clover seed, even though clover seeds tiny, you, if you throw it on top of a existing, something like a lawn, it's a lot of that's just going to perish. So mm-hmm. we're, a, I, my baseline assumption for like smaller plots of land is that you're casting this seed into a prepared seed bed, which is ideal. And if it's something like a clover seed, you're incorporating that somehow by either lightly raking or even better, if you have like some kind of cultipacker of any size or or any implement that goes on the back of something that you can drag across to either physically drag the seed in just, you know, ever so slightly if it's clover or press the seed into into the seed bed. So I thought it may, it may be good to touch on that. You generally just don't cast on top of the ground. You will get better results with most seeds if you either press it in or drag it in to ever so slightly cover that seed. Um, I guess it's possible if you have something like clover, if you just throw that on top of the garden and you don't want to till it a final time, I've had some luck with that, but not as good as making a basic pass, a tillage pass, and then seeding. You'll have better results if you throw that seed into a prepared seed bed at the end of the season. Definitely. You want that good, like, soiled seed contact. Yeah, yeah. And uh, where were you taking us, Brett, before I veered off? No, I think you were taking us into termination. You mentioned the cultipacker thing. And I think think the the raking and or doing the cultipacking is one of those steps that's also not super intuitive. So I appreciate you you pulling us back. Um, So when you say cultipacker in a a field environment, that's basically like this giant, heavy-duty rolling pin, like giant rolling pin. Yeah. That goes on the back of a tractor. There's different sizes now. They make, uh, you know, I'm more familiar with the one on the agriculture scale size where it's large and it's, they come in different shapes a little bit. Uh, some of them are kind of corrugated, have individual rollers. Uh, the the theory there is just to press seed into soil. So any way you can press it, even if you have a lawn roller and you throw down clover and press that in, you're going to have a lot better results than not pressing it in. If your seed bed, you know, is uh, tilled, you may have some success with small seeded stuff like clover without doing that, but you're going to have better results if you do rake it in or or pack it in somehow. The the keyword there in cultipacker is the packer portion of that word is that you're kind of pressing or packing the seed into the soil. And on a very small scale, I'll tell you what I what I did in our backyard for maybe four four or I get no eight eight forty foot. 50 foot long rows is I went and I put my feet right next to each other on, and I just kind of gradually shuffled. shuffled. I do <laughs> that all the time with grass shuffled. seed and other stuff. Yeah, I call it my duck walk exactly. method, but yeah, exactly. and it works fantastic. You don't have yeah. to quack, but it does feel good. <laughs> Maybe it works better if you do. It certainly gets the neighbors wondering what you're doing. But it's that, that, that pressure and that weight yeah. along Perfect. with kind of pressing it in. I think Love that's it. And I, I, we, I've also done, 
where I like kind of um, almost made snowshoes with some boards so that mm-hmm. it increased the yeah. area. I also nice. seen people use like a, a keg. Um, they would. Uh, Brett, uh, so you have. Like, That's not what I use my kegs for. Kegs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got them laying around over here. So. Just uh, They're just all over the place. People use, yeah. use a keg and roll, yeah. and roll oh, in. Yeah. Uh, but there, so there, there are other options. And I, I like that. Yeah. I, I went a long time actually without even knowing what a lawn ro- roller was because I didn't <laughs> really ever use one. Why? That's yeah. obviously like a, a really good solution to that too. But in general, I think that light cultivation followed by some sort of packing yeah. step um, can really help with germination. Yeah. Um, and, and with the seed not washing away if we get a lot mm-hmm. of heavy rainfall. But yeah, so then I was just saying basically after you get it in the ground and it germinates, you're kind of done, right? For a little while. Yeah. Let you watch your watch your garden grow, so to speak. And then Yeah. Most cover crops they don't need additional water once germination takes place. You're really not doing anything beyond that, uh, in a typical scenario. And so then when, when's the next time we really need to be thinking about that thing that we put out, those crops we put out? When, when do we Probably need to think the, about getting rid the, of them? The spring, you're looking at your spring seeding dates when you need to have your soil ready to go. And sometimes that, that's easier said than done because we have wet springs sometimes here and where we live in the country. Uh, so the weather doesn't always play really well with us. And the thing to remember that if you have a good thick cover crop, that soil is going to stay unworkable just a little bit longer with tillage equipment because it's doing what it's supposed to do, retaining moisture in some cases. It's self-shading. It's keeping the soil cooler longer. So kind of keep that in mind and do your test. And and one thing you'll never want to do is work wet soil because you're not going to get that soil structure back. So don't ever be tempted to terminate your uh, spring cover crop when it's a little too wet. Mm -hmm. That is going to destroy all the benefits you've gained from that cover crop and then some. But uh, yeah, I start looking at my spring planting dates and then I look for a a window on the calendar that the soil is workable. And then you kind of have to take stock of what your equipment is, you know, whether it's going to be mow and then till or whatever process you're going to use to mechanically get rid of that cover crop. And in some cases, if you're a large scale producer, you know, you're going to use chemical management as a burn down for maybe that and, and some other so options. We maybe just whatever. another in that larger scale. And I'd love to hear what you do, Alexis. So in the larger mm-hmm. scale, in addition to the chemical applications, there's also uh, there's a specific tool called a flail mm-hmm. mower, which is a specific mm-hmm. type of mower that is such a powerful and cathartic tool to use if you're you know I'm gonna order mine today. Yeah, <laughs> it just, so rather than it than it spinning around like a clock, if you're looking down, it actually spins around a, a shaft that's almost like in the same direction as your wheels, and it's got these little blades on it that chew up and just it'll just chew up and spit out (laughs) yes into tiny pieces and so large-scale organic farms uh or even you know moderate scale organic farms that aren't doing any chemical treatment they'll often mow it down with that but they also make those attachments for uh walk behind tractors Mm -hmm. like a bcs or a grillo those types of um walk behinds and they it's a very powerful tool but you, so you don't have one yet, Alexis. What have you done mm-hmm. up until now as far as terminating cover crops? Um, so I till mine in, or I uh, will cover mine with a silage tarp. 
Mm. And so I'll, I, if, if they're, t- you know, if they've got really gotten really tall, so if they're, if they're more than two foot tall, then I will mow them first. I'll mow them down and then I will cover, uh, and he- get that soil heating up and get, get those microbes moving and, and, uh, doing that. And then I'll go in until, uh, after some of that stuff has broken down and died off. But one thing we haven't mentioned for that I have uh, some friends who are uh, organic no-till growers is that they are um, crimping. And so okay. uh, crimping is usually done. You see this even in large, um, large like pumpkin production as well. Uh, but it's great for weed control. Uh, and if you're doing no-till or low-till situation. So essentially what that is, it's something you're going to use with a grass. Uh, you're not going to be using this with a broadleaf, a legume or something. So if you're doing wheat or rye, something like that, you could do crimping. On a small scale, uh, this looks like someone with a two by four that has a uh, rope attached to either end of this, you know, two by four that might be three foot long, five foot long, whatever. Uh, and they are us- literally stepping on that two by four and um, crunching the the grass down. And so what they're doing is they're uh, crimping that vascular system. They're bending it in half, just like a straw, just kind of like cutting it in half. And so there's no longer um, water and nutrients flowing up that stem. And so then it dies. Uh, The top growth dies back. So you can go through and do this crimping. There are large scale crimpers um, that you can pull behind a tractor. Uh, but I, I have friends that actually have done this by hand and then they plant into that. So they use that crimped laid down mat of wheat and rye as a weed suppressant, as a, as a mulch essentially. And then they will actually um, either like make slits that they can plant into mm-hmm. uh, or they uh, will use like a small little um, like a small little like hand drill auger and auger little holes uh, and that weed um, and then they'll plant their plant down into there. So that's yeah. kind of a cool thing. And, and if you have a small garden can be done really, yeah. really. Crimping is fun, a- fun fact worth mm-hmm. mentioning about the crimper at that small scale, that tool. Mm-hmm. is also really great at making crop circles. If you want to <laughs> have a great Halloween, <laughs> it's the same tool. Or if you know yeah. people who are into making crop circles, ask to borrow their crimper. Mm-hmm. There you go. See, perfect. And, if, you and timing. Some, if you have some alien friends <laughs> who are into that, uh, ask to borrow their crimper. They have one. Time, <laughs> and timing with the crimping, does that... Is that uh, I I remember that kind of yes. thing because like yeah. if you if you do it too early, mm-hmm. essentially the <clears throat> the grass is just going to stand work. back up. Um, yeah, yeah. So partially. you want to do this while it is starting to go to seed, but before that seed has matured, and so that can be the the other the trickiest part about crimping really with. Um, Really with cover crops in general, I think that's kind of the the trickiest part. It can be timing. Uh, But with crimping especially, you want it to be sending all of its resources into creating a seed head. uh, And then you can kill it off pretty easily by by crimping. But if you wait too long, that seed will shatter and then you have created a weed problem for yourself. And they refer to that as the milk phase. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you you were to squeeze the seed head and you get like... Milky milky. sap. That's not sap, but yeah, it's... uh, it's not if it's clear, it's too late, or if it's dry, it's too late. But that's clear, the time where you, if you were going to start an almond milk business, that's when you milk mm-hmm. the the, <laughs> yeah. the oat. you milk your oats. You milk. You want to make oats your own oat milk? Go oat for milk. it. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's how that happens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a little rye milk, little turnip milk, you know? A little turnip, <laughs> a little turnip milk. Got some tang. But yes, and some and got some bite to do it. Yeah. <laughs> But and then sm- yeah, smothering. So cover crops uh, yeah. again. If you're no till or low till, or just uh, you don't maybe even have time, uh, silage sharps can be a great way. It does take longer in the spring than it does in the fall because it's usually temps aren't as high. Uh, so you're looking at wanting to move that silage tarp. And remember, for those of you who are like, "What is a silage tarp?" Totally fine. Uh, it is something that does not allow water or uh, air flow through there, and it's usually black on one side and white on the other any type of black plastic would work so if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever and get some black plastic that is truly black plastic and Mm -hmm. doesn't allow water through that would work on a small scale I've got large ones so I pull them over and I terminate that way but from a timing perspective if you're going to do silage tarps you need at at least a month uh, depending on when you're going to terminate so you need to plan for a month for that to kill off to get your temps where they need to be uh when you're terminating a cover crop usually we say and you all feel free to chime in but i like to give myself if i'm just tilling something in two weeks before i plan to put it like to plant in it at least two Mm. weeks um and that's just if i'm just going out as it is and incorporating it into the soil two weeks for it yeah, to break if you're down. Incorporating heavy cover crop into soil, and if it's got too much moisture, that creates a lot of problems if you seal that off from oxygen. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's usually on more of a commercial scale with like chisel plows and traditional deep tillage. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you got to be careful with that of incorporating any kind of green matter like that under the soil where it may be trapped without oxygen. Then it lots of bad things happen. So. Yeah, there was actually just that uh, the. There was a short course discussion about cover crops and cut flowers. Mm-hmm. I think it was mm-hmm. earlier this week, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Krista, yeah, Doctor uh, Jacobson was talking about that timing of when to mm-hmm. lay it down or till it in versus when the plant has its need, because there mm-hmm. is this kind of little zone of when the microbes still have to go through their process before it becomes available mm-hmm. and starts like the cycle. But yeah, it's it's interesting with the timing, but. Th- that say once you find your cover crop that works for your needs. So you go through these little your charts and you're like, this is what my goal is. This is when I have time to plant. And you find the cover crop that's going to work. Uh, pay attention to when you're when you're going to terminate, how you're going to terminate, uh, and make make sure to give yourself plenty of time to terminate that cover crop so that you're not having microbes stealing nutrients from your you know veggies or whatever you're putting in to break down that cover crop. Uh, that's, you know, usually we, we can see some nitrogen deficiencies early mm-hmm. spring uh, mm-hmm. that way. So, so timing all around is important. If you're planting at the right time, if you're terminating at the right time, which can make this all seem very hard and like difficult to do. Uh, so choose something easy. Like I always think turnips, radishes, like those are all easy. They're going to rot in the ground. Uh, in my opinion, they're easy. They're going to rot in the ground. They're not hard to terminate. Um, and so if you want to do something, you can do that or uh, wait till summer and try you some buckwheat because you can't go yes. wrong when it comes to buckwheat. <laughs> buckwheat. Um, it's fast and easy and gets get your feet wet in the cover crop area, but don't feel 
forced into doing this if you're tired and just make sure your soil is covered in some way with mulch or plastic or something. If it's, if it means that you're covering it with per- letting purple henbit covered it, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> just some time of year to be thinking about this. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you're getting Maybe a little crabgrass. Mm, mm. You can come get mine. You can come get it from my place. And let me just write my address down for you. Like, uh, but yeah, cover it with something. It's kind of, kind of the gist of all this is just take care of your soil and it'll take care of you and your goals for whatever scale you're doing. So I wonder if I can, if I can sum us up in about a minute here. Go on, for it. On what we've said. So now is the time of year to be thinking about getting a cover crop in if you're wanting to have one through the fall and winter. Some things you might want to think about are a grass and a legume and maybe a combination of multiple of those. So something like wheat or rye, plus maybe uh, a vetch or a clover. If you can get those, if you can get a soil, your soil bed prepared after your cropping has crop has come out for the year, your regular crop, your vegetables, your flowers or whatever, get that seed down through whatever way that you're going to do that. And then in some way, try to pack it into that prepared seed bed. The rain comes, the magic happens, it germinates, it grows. Enjoy, rest with the trees, watch the green grow. In the spring, as you're planning out your garden and you're thinking about your planting dates and when you're going to want to get in, I would say take a step back probably six to four weeks before, or four to six weeks before you're going to try to get in. Around here, that means we we're going to start paying attention to the weather and see if we're going to get anything that looks remotely like a dry spell for us to be able to get in there and work at that point and that month ahead of time before you're trying to get into that area in some way, figure out how you're going to terminate your crop, whether that be with a weed eater or a mower or uh, cover it with something or crimp it or whatever, and try to get in there and do that to give yourself ample time for it to break down ahead of, planting into it for the garden for next year. Yeah. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love cover crops so much. It's I, I actually, there's a part of me that wanted to just kind of stop growing vegetables and just grow like a se- sequence <laughs> totally, of cover crops. Totally. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it would be a worthy endeavor, Brett. So it's, I used I, to think about it in terms of like animal agriculture, just growing cover crop stands and then turning <laughs> animals into it. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to get them right. And I get so like caught up in like the, the cash crop of it all that I never get it. And it makes me so mad because I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to have the most beautiful crimson clover there is. And it is not. <laughs> gonna be this year you guys so um <laughs> yes but uh, i think i think it's time for us to get out of here and um, with that uh make sure that you if you are on social media if you're on instagram you can follow us at hort culture podcast uh if you would like to shoot us an email uh if you've got questions comments thoughts concerns uh you can yeah, you can meet especially concerns especially concerns you can email us at hort culture podcast at l dot uky dot edu that is also in in the show notes uh if you want to leave us a review that helps other people find us we would greatly appreciate that and uh, hopefully hopefully it'll be a good review yeah leave us a review if it's a five-star review period that's me telling the you today <laughs> but anyways uh, we hope that as we grow this podcast you will grow with us uh, and join us next week we are talking about season extension because you know timeliness of it all thank you guys so much and we'll talk to you soon <laughs>